Well, hey, thank you so much. That's helpful. Good morning. Yeah, good to see you guys um, as you are making your way in. I think like, all of our Sunday school teachers ran late this morning, so that's a, good, uh, that's a good problem, though. So as you guys are making your way in, let me remind you, uh, as you come in the, the doorways here, uh, these handy-dandy little reminders are there for you. Please take one. Uh, the goal here is just for you to have something that you can keep with you throughout the week just to remember everything that's going on. It, it always feels like there's a lot of information sort of flying around and we want you to have the ability just to be able to remember everything, uh, to know what's going on. Uh, so grab these uh, if you can, if you would like. Let me mention just a handful of things here by way of announcement stuff going on this week and in the coming weeks on Wednesday of this week. Um, I, think the, I think it says 6.30, which is our normal start time. Uh, on Wednesday nights, but if you creep in around six o'clock, I bet there'll be some uh, some burgers and dogs uh, ready for you. Listen, the goal Wednesday is just for us to come together, kind of wrap up our, our our spring semester here, and just to spend some time in fellowship. If the weather's good, we're going to do that outside. If not, we'll do it in the gym. Um, everything will be provided. You don't have to bring anything. If you have not signed up, though, could you just sign up for us on the table on your way out? You should have gotten an email yesterday with uh, sign-up links. That just helps us get an idea of who all is going to be here. So bring, uh, bring some chairs, and we're just going to hang out outside, again, if the weather permitting. Just enjoy some time of fellowship together. Uh, coming up this summer, and you can go ahead and begin signing up for these things as well, for both our men and our ladies, we, we wanted just to continue to offer some, some study options uh, for you throughout the summer. Our, our ladies, you can see here, there's about three different books that you can pick from. All three of these just so helpful, so solid. Um, just reading some books together this summer, getting together just a couple of times during the summer to talk about those. Men, uh, starting on Thursday, I believe it's May 18th. Uh, yep, that's right. Uh, it's six o'clock every Thursday morning. For those of you that can, I know that may not fit everybody's schedule, but for those that can, men, I'll be leading us through a, a summer study on the doctrine of Scripture. The information's there about how you can get the book. If you have questions on how you can be involved in those things, reach out, let us know. Uh, and then something extremely important, coming up two weeks from uh, this weekend, uh, we here at Faith Family, we have a, just such a desire we have the space for it, we have the personnel for it, and we are looking forward to how the Lord will continue to grow and expand our special needs ministry here at Faith Family. One of the things that's going to sort of help us go maybe to another level with that is to have a weekend where uh, we bring in uh, a group called Johnny and Friends. If you're familiar, familiar with the ministry of Johnny Erickson Tata, uh, that, that's who we're thinking about there, where they're going to come in uh, beginning on a Thursday and all the way through Sunday and just helping us get to a place where our special needs ministry really is at this place where we can uh, lovingly and rightly engage uh, the, those, those, those kids and their families. There are multiple opportunities for you to be involved in this, for our students to be involved in this. There is a schedule of events on this paper. I want to just maybe draw to your attention that that Saturday night, May the 20th, from 6.30 to 8, we're just asking the entire church to be here for that hour and a half period, 6.30 to 8. It's a seminar for us to get a lot of valuable information so that we collectively as a church understand what we're doing with this ministry. So if you have questions about that, how you can be involved in that, see me, see Brandy, 
Um, Matthew, any, any of us can kind of point you in the right direction on that. So again, a lot going on in the life of our dear body. I know it's such a busy time for you. It's springtime and there's graduations and summer plans are, are taking shape. Uh, don't forget just the ongoing ministry opportunities that are available to you here at Faith Family and, and reach out if you have any questions for us. All right, let me pray and we will get started with our time together this morning. Oh God in heaven, we thank you for another Lord's Day. God, we thank you that you have preserved your people throughout the week. You have gathered us once again to the praise and to the honor and to the glory of your great name. Father, as we worship, we declare to you at the outset of this service that God, we desire to commune with you. God, we desire to sing in such a way that gives you the glory that you are due to sing songs that remind us of who you are and what you have done for us in Christ. Father, we declare at the outset of this time that our heart's desire is to hear from you through your word, God, to read your word, to study your word, to apply your word, oh God, to our lives. Oh God, humble us. Give us ears to hear eyes to see and wills to obey God so that your name would be glorified and that your kingdom would be advanced God build your church this day for the glory of your great name through Christ our Lord we pray it amen amen church family let's stand as we begin to sing all praise to him Oh! 
is not in what I own, not in the strength of flesh and bone, but in the costly wounds of love at the cross. My worth is not in skill or family, would you take God's word and join me in Hebrews chapter 12 this morning for our scripture reading. If you are able, would you remain standing with me for the reading of God's word? 
Hebrews chapter 12, you recall last week in Hebrews 11, we read of those who had been made right with God through faith. And if you are in faith in Christ this morning, the call of Hebrews 12 is that once again you would endure. You would endure to the very end. That you would from time to time receive the discipline that comes from a loving and heavenly Father remembering that God's great design for you, church, is to take you safely home as we'll see toward the end of this chapter to Mount Zion, the city of God where you might dwell with Him for all eternity. As we hear from the Word of the Lord this morning, we ask and pray that God would take this eternal truth, and that He would write this upon our hearts. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider Him who has endured such hostility by sinners against Himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by Him. For those whom the Lord loves, He disciplines, and He scourges every son whom He receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom His Father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but He disciplines us for our good, so that we may share in His holiness all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful yet to those who have been trained by it afterward it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness therefore strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble and make straight paths for your feet so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed pursue peace with all men And the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble. And by it many be defiled. That there be no immoral or godless person like Esau who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place for repentance though we sought for it with tears. For you have not come 
to a mountain that can be touched, into a blazing fire, into darkness and gloom and whirlwind, into the blast of a trumpet and the sound of words which sound was such that those who heard begged that no further word be spoken to them. For they could not bear the command, if even a beast touches the mountain, it will be stoned. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I am full of fear and trembling, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks better than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if those did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape who turn away from him who warns from heaven. And his voice shook the earth then, But now he has promised, saying, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. This expression, yet once more, denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken, as of created things, so that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Church, be seated if you would. And let's go to the Lord in prayer together this morning. Father, for those who have come to You by faith, they have trusted in the finished work of Your Son, Jesus Christ. They are hoping in Him alone. They are satisfied in Him alone. They find their worth at the cross. Oh God, would You, by Your Spirit's work in them, help them through all the sin and all the temptations all the distractions, all the sin that so easily entangles, oh God, would you help them to endure. And may chapter 12 of Hebrews be such a rich, rich word of Scripture that permeates into their hearts, reminding all of us, oh God, that what you intend is the good of your people. God, that we would be partakers of Your holiness. God, You intend in Hebrews 12 not to bring us to the terrible mount of Sinai which thunders forth law and judgment and condemnation. But Father, Your great end for Your people is to take us to Zion. The city of God. A city that cannot be shaken. A city that is not temporal, but eternal. Oh God, 
So then, in light of that, help us to do as the beginning of chapter 12 calls us to do, to fix our eyes on Jesus. To fix them there and not move them. Oh God, help us to not be so easily distracted. Oh God, I pray that you would help us, that the allurement of the world would not catch our eye, but God, that our eyes would be fixed on Christ. So Lord God, among this people today, do your work to that glorious end. God, help us to repent of sin, to confess it, to lay it aside. God, help us to have just such a hunger and thirst for righteousness. Lord, I pray for the one in the room that doesn't know the Lord Jesus as Savior. God, that today would be the day of their salvation. God, that you would pour forth such grace and mercy, and compassion. God, that you would grant them this glorious gift of faith. And that they would be compelled by the Spirit's work to cry out, Save me, O God, the sinner. God, build your church today. Equip us. Make us more like Jesus. Until that day, when we see Him, face to face. What a glorious day. God, give us a foretaste of that in these moments together this morning. We ask and pray it through his name. Amen. Church family, let's stand as we continue in worship.
Well, church family, it's the first Sunday of a new month, which means a new memory verse of Scripture for us this month. It's from Romans chapter 5, verse 8, a verse that may already be a bit familiar to you. There it is for you on the screen. I, I hope and pray that this is a verse that you, over these coming weeks of this month, would commit to memory, that you would, if you already know the verse, that you would commit to just thinking through it and uh, seeking to apply uh, Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 to uh, your hearts this month. Here, here it is for us. Let's read it together. Get that going in our brains. I want to set it in its proper context there in Romans 5, and then we'll pray together before the preaching of God's Word. So join me in reading this this morning. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5 verse 8. Romans 5 and verse 8 is set into kind of a larger context of some of the ramifications that are true for us if we have come to Christ by faith. The first four chapters of Romans are dealing with the reality that we are made right with God, we are justified uh, by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And in Romans chapter 5, then verses 7 and 8, what's happening in those couple of verses right there is that the love of God is being set apart as a totally different or in a totally different category from all other loves. Verse 7 of Romans 5 essentially says to us that there's a chance that one human might would actually lay down his life for another morally good or upright human. But God. God shows His love for us in that He sent Jesus not to die for some morally good and upstanding people, but He sent Jesus to die for a bunch of scoundrels. He sent Jesus to die for those who were nowhere near good. Nowhere near upright. He came while we were still sinners. And so in that, we find that God's love is just in this whole different category unto itself because it reaches down not for those who are good and dies for them, but reaches down to those who are just dead in their trespasses and sins. As we'll hear in just a moment from Matthew 5, it reaches down into those who are not at peace with God. And Christ, through His death on the cross, actually makes peace between holy God and sinful man. So commit that to your hearts this month. Let's pray together before we come to the preaching of God's Word. God, what a glorious truth is found in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. It brings us face to face with a love that has never been shown on this earth. God, even our very best love for and toward others, God, it cannot compare to the kind of love that would send your only begotten Son for sinners. God, remind us of the, 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 the truth of the gospel in this. 
God, that Christ didn't come to die for those who had cleaned themselves up or arrived at a certain standard of morality. Christ came to give life to spiritual corpses. God, what kind of love is that? Father, what kind of love is that? That you would send Christ, your perfect, precious, spotless Son, to shed His blood and die for sinners. God, I, I fear that maybe we've heard that so often that we've lost sight of how majestic and awesome that is. So God, remind us this month from Romans 5.8 of your great love where we were before Christ and what you have done to make us your own. And God, out of that kind of grace and mercy and love, God, would you help us to live out this glorious gospel? To live out these beatitudes that we've been studying. To be, O oh God, what you have called us to be as your people and as your children. God, in light of Romans 5 8, make our hearts sensitive to your word. And what it is that you call us to do this morning. God, the power of this moment is not in the preacher. God, the power of this moment is in your word. It is in your spirit teaching us, reminding us, correcting us, convicting us. And God, we are thankful that this moment as the seed of Your Word gets planted in people's hearts, God, we are thankful that You will grow a harvest of righteousness among us. God, help us in these moments to commit our hearts and our minds and our wills to You so that You would be glorified and we would be more like Your Son Jesus Christ, by the power of your Spirit in us, God bless the preaching of your word. Through Christ we pray it. Amen. Amen. Church family, would you take God's word and join me, Matthew chapter 5, this time verse 9. At this point, your Bible should just sort of naturally flop open to Matthew 5. We are drawing near to the end of uh, the Beatitudes, at least still many miles to go in the Sermon on the Mount, but we're drawing close to the end of the Beatitudes. We come to the next, to the last one here this morning in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 9. I want you to think back with me all the way back to Genesis 3, and I want you to think about the effects of the fall, the effects of Adam's rebellion against God in the garden. And I want us to consider for a moment that one of the most immediate and devastating effects and the devastating consequence of sin in Genesis 3 is the conflict and the strife that arises between Adam and God and between Adam 
and Eve. Immediately after eating the fruit, immediately after doubting God, after calling Him into question and reaching out and taking that which God had said not to eat, immediately after we see how sin puts Adam and Eve in opposition against God and in opposition against one another. The once perfect union that previously existed in their relationship with God and in their relationship with one another, that once perfect union has now been shattered. The peace of the Garden of Eden is gone. And it has been replaced with an enmity and a warring and a strife against God and against one another. The sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, which was once so previously warm and welcoming, is now the sound of judgment and condemnation. Bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, which Adam said about Eve before Genesis 3, has now been replaced with that woman that you gave me. Strife and discord and contention and enmity has now become the order of creation or the disorder of creation. You follow the story out. Genesis chapter 4, Cain does what? He kills his brother Abel. By the time you get to Genesis 14, kings are warring against kings. You just follow that all throughout Scripture and you see the many, many, many conflicts that exist between God and man and between human relationships. You get all the way to Matthew 24 and verse 6 and Jesus says about these last days that there will be what? There will be wars, rumors of wars. There's marital strife that now arises. There is strife between parents and children. There is strife in the workplace. There are strifes of all kinds plaguing the church of this day. And yet, all the while, God's Word, it calls marriages. And it calls families. And it calls local churches to oneness, unity, and peace. Remember that God's design for marriage is that the two shall become one flesh. That God's design for the family is that everyone would fit together in their God-given role and responsibility to form this very building block of all society. God's design for the local church is that we would be united under the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we would be of one mind toward one another, and that there would be no division among us, just as Jesus prayed in John 17, 21, that we would be one as God the Father, Son, and Spirit are one. And yet we look around us, and we see so much strife. It's almost that we experience it on a daily basis. 
Again, whether it's in the family or in the workplace, at school, sometimes sadly in the life of the local church, and we're left to ask and wonder, is this kind of unity and peace, is it even possible? Given that, you know, the state of humanity and where we are culturally, is this kind of peace even possible? Beloved, this kind of peace is in fact possible and will come about when the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ live out Matthew chapter 5 and verse 9. What does it say? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. If you are a Christian this morning, what will be true of your life is that you will seek to make for peace whenever and wherever conflict arises, whether that be in the home, whether that be in the church, workplace, school. Christians, as we'll flesh out for us this morning, Christians, we are not pot stirrers. We are peacemakers. Christians, remember that while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. Christians, remember how Jesus, by the blood of His cross, has made peace between them and God. And so then the natural overwhelming desire of the Christian heart is that they will long to make peace in their relationship with others. And that is essentially the one central point of this beatitude. That true disciples of Christ, what is it that dominates our lives? We will move toward conflict in order to make for peace, just as Christ has made peace between us and God. So here's my prayer, church, that by the Word of God, by the work of the Spirit in our hearts, my prayer is that God would show us the areas of our lives, our relationships, in which we need to work for peace. That we would learn what it means to be a peacemaker, and that our unity with one another in the church would be a testimony of the Gospel to the watching world. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Think about that word peacemaker with me for just a moment. That word is it's pretty easy for us to understand because the word means exactly as it sounds. A peacemaker is one who, you got it, they do what? They make for peace. Peacemaker makes for peace. A peacemaker is not just one who walks into a peaceful situation and does whatever they have to do to keep the peace, but a peacemaker is one who sees the conflict. They see the strife and they go toward it, not away from it, in order to make for peace. A peacemaker does not ignore the conflict. A peacemaker does not see the conflict and then quickly divert eyes and move away from it because it's just so awkward and messy. Let me get away from this as quickly as I can. 
a peacemaker sees it, has a heart to apply the gospel to it, and then moves toward it. A peacemaker does not sweep the conflict and strife up under the rug and then just kind of hope that it somehow magically disappears. No. The peacemaker understands the devastating effects of strife and discord and conflict. And the peacemaker then pushes through all the messy and all the hard and all the awkward and they go toward that situation to make for peace. Peacemaker is a firefighter, if you will. The firefighter sees the flame and does what? Doesn't run away from it. Bravely, courageously runs to it. The peacemaker is the firefighter who sees the flames of strife and discord and runs toward the danger to douse the flames of conflict with the gospel of peace. What kind of firefighter is it that sees the flame and then runs in the complete opposite direction? What kind of Christian would we be, a disciple of the Lord Jesus, would we be if we see the dangerous flames of discord and run in the opposite direction? Now, let me just acknowledge what I've hinted at already, that peacemaking is hard. It's uncomfortable. It's much easier to just kind of divert our eyes and act like we didn't see it and just keep rolling on with the comfort of our days. Peacemaking is hard. It is messy. It is sometimes tedious work that if we're just being honest, most of the time we would just like to avoid. I got enough problems going on in my life. I don't need to get involved in somebody else's problems. We feel that if we don't say it. Who am I to stick my nose in where it doesn't belong? I'll just pray for them and hope that somehow it all works out for good. Peacemakers do the hard and difficult work because the Gospel demands it. A couple of commentators have said this, that in a world characterized by conflict and rivalry, a keeper of the peace is rare. A peacemaker is still rarer. A.T. Robertson said this, it is hard enough to keep the peace. It is still more difficult to bring peace where it's not. So we acknowledge that there's some difficulty here. We acknowledge that there is some awkward here. But while peacemaking can be a difficult work, it is the work of those who are the sons of God. And here's why. Here's why this will be true for us. If you're a Christian, peacemaking is not an option because the God of peace, Romans 15.33, has sent His Son, the Prince of Peace, Isaiah 9.6, to actually make peace. Peace between you and God. Our sin has left us alienated from God. 
Our sin has placed us in a position of being hostile toward God, as Colossians 1.21 tells us. However, God has sent His Son to do the work of making for peace. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 20, through Him, through Christ, God has reconciled all things to Himself, having made peace through the blood of His cross. Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, therefore having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We as Christians cannot avoid the conflict because Christ did not avoid the conflict that existed between us and holy God. Jesus, when He comes to earth, remember, He's not stepping into this pristine kind of environment that's really clean. Everybody's in perfect unity and harmony with one another. He steps into a world of strife, a world of conflict and disorder and makes for peace. As we said in Romans 5.8, He doesn't come for good people. He comes for scoundrels and sinners. And by the blood of His cross brings appeasement to God's wrath against sin and reconciles the once severed relationship. This is why we don't ignore the conflict. This is why we don't bury our heads in the sand and hope that it'll go away or that somebody else will deal with it. This is why we are peacemakers. Primarily, church, the work of the gospel is peacemaking. Because what has it primarily done? It's reconciled the broken relationship between God and man. So then, if it's not an option, if this is what marks those who are the sons of God, then what does this practically look like in our lives? How does peacemaking practically flesh itself out? I've got for us uh, 10 ways that I think this practically fleshes itself out. This is just an effort to make this practical for us, to give us some things to kind of hang our hat on with this and to begin to put into practice. So what does this practically look like? How do we apply blessed are the peacemakers? Number one, remember that conflict is a spiritual problem. Remember that conflict is not just a clash of personality or Enneagram types. Conflict is a result of sin and the fall. It is a spiritual problem. It is the result of sin in our hearts. Therefore, in order to resolve the conflict, in order to make for peace, we must apply biblical, not worldly, solutions to this. So we remember that it's a spiritual problem. Secondly, when conflict arises between you and another, or if you see it from a distance and you desire to apply verse 9, beloved, pray. Don't do anything before you pray. Again, conflict resolution, peacemaking is a messy 
work. It is complicated. It is often nuanced. People are complicated and nuanced, right? We can't dive into the work of peacemaking without prayer. So pray. If you're in a moment of strife right now, pray this day. Pray that God would give you wisdom. Pray that God would give you discernment. Pray that God would show you the timing for when you should get involved. Pray that God would give you the words to say if and when you do speak, words that will make for peace. If this is a spiritual problem, and Genesis 3 tells us that it is, then we must approach this in prayer. Do not seek to make for peace without prayer. You know what the end result will be if you try? More strife and more conflict. This is a spiritual problem that we desperately need God's Spirit to accomplish. And so pray, beloved. Thirdly, pursue peace. Make it the overall aim of your life that you are going to pursue, chase after, seek to run it down, make it your aim and your ambition to be a person who pursues peace. Psalm 34 verse 14, depart from evil and do good, seek peace and pursue it. Romans chapter 14, verse 19. So then, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. We read it this morning. Pursue peace with all men. It ought to be that for the Christian, the overall flavor of our life, if you will, is that we are not people of conflict and pot-stirring, but we are those who pursue peace. That's always the goal. It's always the goal. Even in hard conversations that we have to have, in really difficult moments, the end goal is not just to be right. It's not just to make my point. It's not just to win. It's to make for peace. So fourthly, when conflict arises between you and another, highlight, circle, stress this word, go to that person and seek to make for peace. Go to that person and seek to make for peace. Look down in chapter 5, verse 23. Chapter 5, Matthew, verse 23, Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and present your offering. When? Conflict arises between you and another. Stop what you are doing and go to that person. That then means that you're going to stay off 
of social media about it. It means that you're not going to mention it as a prayer request at small group Bible study. It means that you're not going to text that person about it. You're not going to email that person about it. You are going to put your phone down, put your keys in your hand, get in the car, and go. Sometimes it might mean that you're going to put the phone down and walk across the hall in your house and make for peace. Go to that person. Jesus came to us. He didn't do this from a distance. He came to us. And so we go to people when conflict arises. Listen, these are serious conversations. These are serious matters. Look, so, social media is for the picture of the hamburger that you had last night. It is not for serious matters. Text conversations are to be short and quick and hey, what time am I supposed to grab the kids? Not trying to suss out the massive fight that you and your wife had last night. Emails, though it gives an opportunity for a lot of information, does not rightly communicate what needs to be communicated in a moment like this. We are so technologically driven and advanced that we think that pounding out 120 characters or whatever it is is going to fix everything. It only makes it worse, beloved. Go to one another. Number five, do not gossip. Do not gossip about or to others. You want to make for peace? Don't gossip. Don't do it. Make it your life's ambition to pursue peace. And what that means is that gossip will leave your lips. Nothing will create strife and destroy peace more than gossip. And the sin of gossip is a whole other sermon for a whole other day. But in short, let me say this. Do not speak negatively about others to others. Just don't do it. Don't do it. Don't speak negatively about others to others. Do not share sensitive news or information without the permission of others. You want to destroy peace? Share sensitive information that you don't have permission to share. Do not say things about others behind their backs that you would not first say to their face. Do not mention the circumstances of others as prayer requests without their permission. Kill the sin of gossip. Number six, make it your goal to live in peace with everyone. This is similar to pursue peace, but maybe a little extra nuance to it here. Make it your goal to live in peace with everyone. Romans chapter 12 and verse 18 is particularly helpful here. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Now, I want you to notice Paul's language there in Romans 12, if possible. And so implicit there is sometimes it just may not be possible. Because there's just some people out there that just love conflict. 
They just love strife. They love the drama. They, they love the constant kind of friction and contention. But if possible, as much as it depends on you, right? Be at peace with all men. The call upon the Christian is that we are to do our part in making for peace. We're to go to people when conflict arises. We quickly forgive. We're quick to not take offense. We make for peace. If the other person just won't have it. If they just like the fight and the strife and the discord, there's nothing you can do about that. But for you and your part, you've done what God has asked you to do. Make for peace with everyone. Number seven, how do we, how do we apply this? How do we become peacemakers? Be deferential to one another and do not demand your own way. Be deferential to one another. Or Romans chapter 12, verse 10 says it this way, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. You don't always have to have it your way. The culture in which we live says you can absolutely have it your way whenever you want it, whatever the preference might be. Nobody else can tell you different. And so what we learn then is to be selfish and self-centered and to demand our way in everything. Christian, leave room for, you know, I, I might just be wrong about that. Is there room in your soul for, you know, I, I might be wrong about that leave room for you know i don't i don't have to have it my way right now hey precious bride you have it your way in this or or church member i I don't i don't have to have my way in this you 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 first give preference prefer one another more than you prefer self remember the story of abraham and lot in Genesis 13, verses 5 to 12, they're on their way to the promised land, right? And they kind of arrive there, and there's, uh, the, the herds have grown so much, and families have, you know, there's just a, a lot of people, a lot of herds, and, and not enough land, not enough water, and some strife is beginning to set in. And, and Abraham looks at his nephew Lot and says, hey, let, let's, not there, let, let's not let there be strife among us remember what abraham does hey lot look around you you pick you you go first whichever way you go if you go to the right i'll go to the left you go to the left lot i'll I'll go to the right you you pick and let's let's just kind of separate our parties here and let's live at peace and you lot you go first I think it's a glorious example of what it looks like to prefer one another. The picture of Christ in Philippians chapter 2, who although He existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But what did He do? He took on the form of a servant and humbled Himself. He considered 
that our needs were more important than himself. And what did he do as a result of that? He made peace between sinful man and holy God. One faithful pastor has said it this way, that love allows others to have their way, not at the expense of righteousness and truth, but at the expense of self. Number eight, be slow to anger. How do you make for peace? Be slow to anger. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 18, a hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but the slow to anger pacifies contention. You want to pacify contention in your marriage, in your relationship with your kids, at the workplace, in all of your relationships? Be slow to anger. Hot temper just stirs up strife. You've been around those people, you've been in those situations. But those who are slow to anger, remember earlier in that chapter, Proverbs 15 and verse 1, a gentle answer, what does it do? It turns away wrath. It turns away that strife and contention, and it brings peace. You'll have to pray about that, by the way. Be slow to anger. You'll have to pray for that kind of patience. But pray for it. God will grant it. Number nine, work to kill a quarreling spirit within you. I have been just so surprised by, over the last, I don't know, 10 to 15 years, by how contentious the church of the Lord Jesus Christ has become. We fight about politics, and we fight about, honestly, any given issue of the day. And it's just exhausting. I don't, I don't have the energy for it, honestly. I don't know how so many people that fight about these things on social media all day, every day, I don't know where they get the energy or the time. But I think, beloved, it would do us well to remember that in order to make for peace, we have to kill a quarreling spirit within us. Proverbs chapter 17 and verse 14, the beginning of strife is like letting out of water. So abandon the quarrel before it breaks out. Just walk away from it. It's not worth it. You want to be a peacemaker? You want to be what the the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ are called to be? Just walk away from the quarrel. You don't have to win. You don't even have to give your opinion. Just walk away from it. Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 3, keeping away from strife is an honor for a man, but a fool will quarrel. Christians should not be a quarreling, contentious it is, it is anti-Christ to be a quarreling, contentious Christian. Those things don't even, they don't even go together. So let's pray and work to kill a quarreling spirit. And then lastly, Christian, especially you, Christian, hear this. You want to be a peacemaker? Share the gospel. Share the gospel and help make peace between God and man. 
This is the greatest act of peacemaking that you can ever be involved in, church. You want to be a peacemaker? Tell people about Jesus. Share the gospel. Point them to the Lord Jesus Christ so that they might hear of Him and be saved in Him. John Broadus said, there is no more godlike work to be done in this world than peacemaking. Look at the end of verse 9. What, what's, what's the end of this? Blessed are the peacemakers for, because, they shall be called sons of God. The word blessed, just remind us, it, It means the state or the condition of one who is right with God. Those who are right with God are peacemakers and they shall be called sons of God. Jesus is not saying that if you do enough, you will become. What is being taught is if you do, if you are a peacemaker, you give evidence that you are the sons of God. If you are a peacemaker, you give evidence that you are a part of God's family. If the God of peace has saved you by His grace through His Son, the Prince of Peace, then you will make for peace and be counted among the family of God. Those who are peacemakers give evidence that they have the peace of God in their lives. They evidence that they are the family of God. Those who are the sons of God will display the same peace-loving nature as their father. Those who are the sons of God do not live to stir the pots, but they, they, they strive for peace. If you're pot stirring and not peace making you're not a son of God or at best you're not acting as a son of God the sons of God the people of God those who inherit the kingdom of God are peacemakers church remember that discord and division that's the devil's work That's the devil's work. Peacemaking in unity. That's the work of the sons of God. Church, where do you need to be a peacemaker? What relationships might you have where there's some strife, unresolved strife? And where do you need to apply verse 9 and go and make for peace? Are there stressed or fractured relationships which you need to step into and make for peace? Is there someone to whom you need to go and, and ask forgiveness? Matthew 5.23 Is there someone to whom you need to go. You need to place your offering at the altar. You don't need to do anything else until you go and are reconciled with that brother or sister. Is there someone to whom you need to grant forgiveness and bring reconciliation to that relationship? Are you here this morning and you're at conflict with God 
in your sin because you've never repented of that sin and trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. The cross of Christ will make for peace. It does make for peace. It has made for peace. You must come to Christ and Him alone if you would be at peace with God. Church, final word of encouragement. Remember how the Bible begins and remember how it ends. It begins in a garden. It begins with God and man in complete union with one another. And how does the Bible end? It ends in the new creation with holy God and His people once again eternally at peace with one another. Therefore, true disciples, they move toward the conflict in order to make for peace just as Christ has made peace between God and His people. 2 Corinthians 13, verse 11. Finally, brethren, rejoice. Be made complete. Be comforted. Be like-minded. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace shall be with you. Let's pray together. Father, continually remind us of the work of the Gospel which makes for peace. And then, God, help us to live that out. To be those who, like our Savior, to be those who go into conflict, to not ignore it, to not hope that somebody else will deal with it, but for ourselves to go toward it and to do the things that make for peace. God, Christ's desire for His church was that she would be in unity, oneness, and peace with one another. God, collectively as a body, we pray and ask You this morning, God, that You would help us to guard the peace and the unity of this precious, precious body. God, help us to be serious about peacemaking. You were. You are. If we are going to be your sons, your family, your children, those who inherit the kingdom, then, oh God, we must be peacemakers. God, I think there's probably a lot of ways that we need to apply this text or our hearts. So God, we are asking as always that your Spirit do His work in our hearts to help us in this noble task. Give us eyes to see it, ears to hear it, and wills to obey it. God, help your church. We ask and pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you.